Hillary Clinton trashes Bernie Sanders just two weeks before the Iowa caucuses. The Senate impeachment trial rules are set, and the media try to spin a pro-gun rally into a white nationalist terror gathering. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. This show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Stop putting your online data at risk. Get protected at expressvpn.com slash Ben. Well, today is the beginning of the Senate impeachment trial. It is expected to last for perhaps a week and a half, maybe two weeks at most. We'll get into the Senate impeachment trial stuff in just a second because the media are fighting mad at Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell, of course, is expediting the process after the Democrats submitted a wholly insufficient impeachment memorandum suggesting why they had impeached without actually mentioning a crime. But here's the thing. All that's really boring. Okay, we know that the impeachment stuff is really just a setup for 2020's election coming up in a few months. We know that this is going nowhere in the Senate. We know there are no real bombshells that are going to drop between now and then, and that the entire impeachment effort was basically a twofold charade. One, Nancy Pelosi attempting to get the crazed loons on the far left off of her back, and two, trying to smear Trump just before the election. And so really, this is about the 2020 election. And when it comes to the 2020 election, Something exciting just happened. Hillary Clinton is back, baby, and she is better than ever. Oh, yeah. So Hillary Clinton has been sitting off to the side ever since she lost the 2016 election. And she's been kind of taking pot shots and sniping at Trump, and she'll go on Twitter, and she'll fire off some passive-aggressive tweet, and then we'll see a weird picture of her standing behind some sort of mock Oval Office resolute desk abroad, And we're all like, okay, well, what's Hillary doing these days? And it turns out she's doing nothing. Well, now it turns out she was doing something. She was filming some sort of docu-series. She was filming a docu-series, guys. And this docu-series, as you would suspect, is all about how Hillary Clinton is the bestest person in the entire world. It is a four-part Hulu series titled Hillary, set to premiere at Sundance. And Hillary Clinton opens up. And not only does she open up on President Trump, which you would expect, and on the Monica Lewinsky scandal and all the rest, She opens up her guns on Bernie Sanders. And I mean, goes directly at Bernie Sanders. She hates Bernie Sanders. And I am here for it, man. Break out the popcorn. Let them fight. Oh, oh, it's fantastic. Pick your fighter. Bernie versus Hillary. I'm I'm here for, for the silent generation Democrats. All of them are walking around at this point with walkers, with tennis balls on the feet. I'm all about them just beating, just clocking the living crap out of each other. I am here for it. I am up for it. And in just one second, I'm going to tell you what Hillary Clinton said about Bernie Sanders because it's great for Bernie. It really is. It's great for Bernie. There is one surefire surefire rule in American politics over the last 12 years or so, and that is if you run against Hillary Clinton, that's awesome. Barack Obama found that out in 2008, and then Bernie Sanders found it out again in 2016, and then Donald Trump found it out in 2016. If you want to be popular, all you have to do is run directly against Hillary Clinton. And as we are about to see, Hillary Clinton took off the gloves and just went right at Bernie Sanders. She smacked away his pudding, and he is going to have to respond. I mean, he doesn't really have much of a choice. We'll get to that in just one second, because it's pretty glorious. First, let us talk about your safety and security. So, as you can imagine, I am nearly paranoid about my safety and security and that of my family. We have full-time security. That's because I have so many death threats. Unfortunately, a lot of people want to hurt us. But our city is also turning into a giant slag heap. I mean, this is just a terrible, terrible city. Crime rates are going up. Petty crime. We've had break-ins in our neighborhood. And that is why I rely on Ring. And so does my wife. My wife is similarly concerned about safety. Obviously, we have two young kids and a third on the way. And that is why we do rely on Ring. Ring's mission is to make neighborhoods safer. Their smart video doorbells and cameras protect millions of people everywhere. This is particularly important in L.A., 
where, again, crime rates have been going up because the local government has refused to crack down on any sort of street crime at all. Ring helps you stay connected to your home anywhere in the world. So if there's a package delivery or a surprise visitor, you do get an alert and you're able to see, hear, and speak to them all from your phone. Go check out Ring right now as a subscriber. You do have a special offer on a Ring welcome kit available right now at ring.com slash Ben. The kit includes a video doorbell and a Chime Pro, which is what you need to start building that ring of security around your home today. Go to ring.com slash Ben. That is ring.com slash Ben, R-I-N-G.com slash Ben, ring.com slash Ben. Alrighty, so Hillary Clinton does this docuseries with Hulu. And then she did an interview with The Hollywood Reporter. And this thing is just brutal. It is just brutal. So the documentary apparently doesn't feature Monica Lewinsky, nor Bernie Sanders, nor Donald Trump. The director says, I didn't want to relitigate 2016, which, uh, listen, that's the only reason that you're making a documentary about Hillary Clinton, who has not been relevant for four years at this point. But the director explained that that she didn't want to relitigate 2016 as much as just be able to show Hillary in this unobtrusive way. But a bunch of other people did talk to the documentarians, including Bill Clinton, who holds back tears as he walks through the Lewinsky chapter. Well, it's good to know that Bill Clinton can still turn on the crocodile tears, even at age 97. Uh, There's really only one question for Bill Clinton that is worthy of answering, and it's whether that prostate is still in action. Hulu's head of documentaries, Belisa Balaban, says, this is not an agenda piece. It's an authored piece of work that looks at a very long slice of personal and political history. No, it doesn't sound like propaganda at all. It sounds like it is perfectly balanced in its approach to Hillary Clinton. But this is not a rip on Hollywood. The important part is that Hillary is now just taking out a machete and she is hobbling around the house yelling at Bernie Sanders while he says, well, my slippers, I don't understand what my slippers are. And she's like, I'm coming after you with the machete. I don't know what my slippers are. I cannot run outside the way from Hillary Clinton unless I find my slippers. So here is what she said to The Hollywood Reporter. Quote, so this is the interviewer. In the documentary, you're brutally honest on Sanders. This is a direct quote from the documentary. He was in Congress for years. He had one senator support him. Nobody likes him. Nobody wants to work with him. He got nothing done. He was a career politician. It's all just baloney. And I feel so bad that people got sucked into it. Okay, I mean, this, by the way, this Hillary Clinton would have won walking away in the primaries, right? She did end up winning the primaries with more votes than Bernie, but it was very narrow. This Hillary Clinton, who basically just dismissed Bernie as a know-nothing communist, would have done much better in the primaries than she actually did. Instead, she sort of tut-tutted Bernie all the way to the finish line. And as we have learned in the game of American politics, this is actually not a smart strategy. People did this with Donald Trump in 2016. They sort of patted him on the back all the way until he won the nomination. And Hillary Clinton basically patted Bernie Sanders on the head all the way until he almost stole her thunder. But here are her real feelings, which is that Bernie's a useless commie, which is correct. Bernie is a useless commie. If Hillary Clinton had said this about Bernie Sanders during the primaries, I would have been there applauding because this is exactly right. He was in Congress for years. He doesn't have his name on one significant piece of legislation. He sat outside the Democratic Party and did nothing for 40 years while taking taxpayer dollars and then proclaiming himself pure of heart while literally accomplishing zero things and being wrong about all of them. So they ask her, does that assessment still hold? And she says, yes, it does. And here, this is the best part. The Hollywood Reporter says, if he gets the nomination, will you endorse and campaign for him? Now, remember, the rip on Bernie had been that if Bernie did not get the nomination, then he and his Bernie bros would walk. But here is Hillary Clinton basically ripping the scab off, right? If he gets the nomination, will you endorse and campaign for him? Quote, I'm not going to go there yet. We're still in a very vigorous primary season. I will say, however, that it's not only him, it's the culture around him. It's his leadership team. So she's not just going after Bernie. She's going after everybody around Bernie. His leadership team. She's going after the Bernie bros. She's going after his entire constituency base. 
Okay, and if Joe Biden, who is the hand-picked Hillary Clinton successor, is the person who wins the nomination, do you think maybe some of the Bernie bros are going to remember that Hillary Clinton and Team Obama stood aside while Hillary Clinton just savaged Bernie Sanders and his entire band of Mary Commie supporters? I'm not going to go there yet. We're still in a very vigorous primary season. I will say, however, it's not only him. It's the culture around him. It's his leadership team. It's his prominent supporters. It's his online Bernie bros and their relentless attacks on lots of his competitors, particularly the women. And I really hope people are paying attention to that because it should be worrisome that he has permitted this culture, not only permitted, he seems really to be very much supporting it. And I don't think we want to go down that road again where you campaign by insult and attack. And maybe you try to get some distance from it, but you either don't know what your campaign and supporters are doing, or you're just giving them a wink and you want them to go after Kamala or after Elizabeth. I think that's a pattern that people should take into account when they make their decisions. So here she is saying, we shouldn't wink and nod at attacks. We should really lay off the attacks. Also, Bernie's an ass. Bernie's a jackass. He's a sexist jackass. And the people who support him are sexist jackasses. Oh, this is so good. More, more directly into my veins. Yes. So the interviewer then says, speaking of, Bernie allegedly told Senator Elizabeth Warren in 2018 he didn't think a woman could win, a statement he vigorously denies. How do you digest that? Hillary Clinton, quote, well, number one, I think that sentiment is untrue, which we should all say loudly. I mean, I did get more votes in both in the primary by about four million and in the general election by about three million. I think that both the press and the public have to really hold everybody running accountable for what they say and what their campaign says and does. That's particularly true with what's going on right now with the Bernie campaign, having gone after Elizabeth with a very personal attack on her. Then this argument about whether or not or when he did or didn't say that a woman couldn't be elected, it's part of a pattern. If it were a one-off, you might say, okay, fine. But he said, I was unqualified. I had a lot more experience than he did, and I got a lot more done than he had. But that was his attack on me. Okay, first of all, that part, not so true, right? Bernie Sanders has been in the Senate since before Methuselah was born. Hillary Clinton was elected to the Senate in 2000. She served like a term and a half, and then she ran for president of the United States. It was only after that that she ran for, that she became Secretary of State and then ran again. He says, she says, I just think people need to pay attention because we want, hopefully, to elect a president who's going to try to bring us together and not either turn a blind eye or actually reward the kind of insulting, attacking, and demeaning, degrading behavior we've seen from this current administration. So in this interview, she has called him a sexist. She has suggested that his entire campaign has been built around viciously attacking other people. And she has suggested she won't even commit to endorsing him if he wins the nomination. That's unbelievably great. Unbelievably great. And then she's asked about Elizabeth Warren or Amy Klobuchar. She says, I've talked to them. She says, I still answer their questions. I've talked to practically everybody who had run and is still running. And then she was asked, well, you haven't talked to Bernie. She said, no, I can't say I've talked to all of them, but I answer their questions. I always say to the female candidates, look, you can run the best campaign, but you're going to have to be even better than your best campaign to overcome some of the unfairness that will be directed at you as a woman. And here, Hillary's victimhood complex is so strong here. It's so strong and it is so off-putting. And I am so, I can't express to you how excited I am that Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders are finally opening up their guns on one another. It is fantastic. And I would encourage Bernie Sanders supporters to remember that Hillary Clinton, two weeks out from the Iowa caucuses, decided to sandbag Bernie Sanders in this, what will be a highly publicized interview. And that Bernie Sanders was sandbagged by Elizabeth Warren and that the DNC has tried to sandbag Bernie over and over and over. Just remember you that. When it comes time for a general election, if Bernie doesn't win the nomination, Hillary says, whoever gets the nomination, you've got to deal with the structural challenges that the Republicans and their allies have put in the way. So that means you've got to deal with voter suppression because they'll steal votes or they'll prevent votes from happening. Remember that time that all of Hillary's supporters were like, Trump won't accept election results. Yeah, Hillary doesn't sound like she is really up for accepting election results. 
She says they're now trying to purge voters so they can try to limit the electorate, which, of course, there's no evidence for. You've got to deal with the theft of your personal information, particularly your emails. Okay, lady, you're the one who put your private emails on a server that was not protected. That would have been you. That was a crime. The fact that James Comey did not charge it as a crime does not mean that it was not a crime. It was indeed a crime. She says, I say to them, if your emails haven't been stolen yet, they will be. Look what the Russians just did, hacking into that Ukrainian oil company to try to dig up something or make something up about Joe Biden's son, Hunter. Then you've got to worry about the propaganda, the fake news, the made up stories. Now you have the additional worry of the deep fakes and people putting words in your mouth. I've tried to tell all the candidates the same thing, but with the women, I say, you're probably not going to be treated fairly. Don't let it knock you off stride. And then she talks about Elizabeth Warren, and we'll get to Hillary Clinton's words on Elizabeth Warren because Hillary is definitely in the Warren camp. But this is just, it's astonishing and it's great. And it's so true. Okay, what she's saying about Bernie is true and Bernie says about her is true and it's all true. It's all true. It's what I said about the 2016 Republican primaries. All the bad stuff they're saying about each other is true. All the good stuff they say is probably not, right? The same thing is true among these Democrats. We'll get to more of that in just one second. First, let us talk about making your company better. Let's say that you have a great employee, just an absolute delight at the office. Let's call her McKenna. But let's say that McKenna just happens to be like the Amelia Bedelia of the office, just unbelievably clumsy. Let's say that in one day, she takes your favorite glass and she just shatters it directly in the sink. And then let's say that same day, you have a guest who's going to come on and tape something with you. And she decides, you know what? I'm just going to spill this entire gallon, this jug of milk right in the lobby for no reason that you can imagine. Just like we're going to spill the milk directly in the lobby. I'm not going to cry over the spilled milk. Instead, I'm just going to co-check out ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and then invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is incredibly effective, so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the very first day. It's incredibly important to get hiring right. As you know, would you like milk all over your lobby or your favorite glass in pieces in the sink? Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash D-A-I-L-Y-W-I-R-E, ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. ZipRecruiter is indeed the smartest way to hire. Okay, so Hillary Clinton concludes this interview by talking about how Elizabeth Warren should fight President Trump. She says, it's still very hard to fight Trump. She said, I thought Elizabeth did a good job at the last debate with the only people on the stage who have won every one of their races are Amy and me. I thought that was clever. Some people loved it. Some people hated it. It's really hard to ever score 100 when you're trying to navigate gender expectations and barriers. So Hillary is still playing the I'm a woman and that's what's provided me my losses. If only I weren't a woman. If only American society weren't sexist. Lady, the reason you lost is because nobody likes you. That is the reason you lost. Donald Trump won fewer absolute votes in Wisconsin than Mitt Romney did. And somehow you managed to lose the state to him. Nobody liked you. That had nothing to do with you being a woman. It had to do with you being a garbage, garbage candidate. I mean, it's hilarious to watch Hillary Clinton sit there and complain about Bernie Sanders' popularity. She is the reason for Bernie Sanders' popularity. She is widely and correctly perceived as absolutely corrupt, as willing to say anything to get anywhere. And Bernie Sanders, on the other hand, is widely perceived as honest but communist. And so he stands outside and he just says, well, she represents the establishment. And here I am representing the USSR. And at least I am an honest Trotskyite. I mean, at least I'm honest. I mean, I love pudding. And I want to remove all brands of deodorant except for one. I really like the one with the piney smell. It smells like the interior of a car from 1987. I like that one. All the others should be banned. But at least I am honest. Hillary Clinton is dishonest. And we all know that's the reason why Hillary Clinton isn't president today. But Hillary is going to just sit outside and throw bombs. And it's spectacular. 
spectacular. And then she goes on to talk about how she is the tip of the spear on behalf of women. Now, here's this is the best part. She's, she's asked, is there any piece of you that has considered jumping into the race? She has said, and then she answers, I've had so many people urge me to every day, and I'm grateful for people's confidence. But I did think it was right for me to step back. I'll do anything I can to defeat the current incumbent and to reverse a lot of his damaging policies. Thankfully, I still have a voice and a following. Well, actually, you don't have much of a following, but you do have a voice. And I do love that she says she'll do anything to stop. She'll do anything to stop Trump. But I won't do that. Right. She is not going to endorse Bernie Sanders. Not now. You got to wonder if she ever will. Spectacular stuff. Now, Bernie's team, I'm sure this morning is in panic. This morning, I'm sure Bernie's team is very upset. And, and they're saying, well, what, Hillary Clinton opening up the guns. Bernie should now campaign against the Democratic establishment and he will win Iowa. That is the reality. Joe Biden is the Democratic establishment. Hillary Clinton is the Democratic establishment. And Hillary has now made Bernie target number one. And she signaled that she is behind Elizabeth Warren. So Bernie now has an opening to paint Elizabeth Warren as part of the establishment, too. If you're Elizabeth Warren's campaign today, you can't be supremely happy that Hillary Clinton is opening up her guns on Bernie Sanders. Because the fact is that everybody who supported Hillary didn't support Bernie anyway. Right. We already had this race. So this fragments the race even more. And it definitely gets people very enthusiastic in the Bernie Sanders camp for supporting Bernie Sanders. So this is when the primaries begin in earnest. Okay, this is when Bernie needs to come out swinging. Will he? I have a feeling. But Bernie thus far has been unwilling to come out swinging. Thus far, Bernie has been very reticent. He wouldn't do it against Elizabeth Warren. He didn't really do it against Hillary. Right? I don't care about the damn emails. If he had cared about her damn emails, he could have been the nominee against Donald Trump in 2016. Well, now Bernie's got a second bite at the apple and he should come out swinging at the Democratic establishment. They'll hate it. But what he doesn't understand, it's, it's weird for a guy who's an anti, who's, who's anti-party, who runs from outside the party. But the fact is that if he understood what AOC understands, which is that a lot of Democrats inside the Democratic Party are unhappy with the Democratic Party, he'd be running directly against Warren, directly against Biden, directly against Hillary Clinton. And Hillary is such a perfect target right now because she lost to Trump. You can say, she lost to Trump. What does she know about any of this? What does she know? And here she is attacking me two weeks before the primaries because she's very upset that she was not able to beat Donald Trump and now I'm the bad guy and she won't even support me. You should support me. Make me the nominee. And this is this is Bernie's time to shine. But in order for him to get that, he has to be just as aggressive as one of his surrogates, the venerable, intellectually brilliant Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. Now, in a second, we're going to get to AOC because AOC did a big interview with Ta-Nehisi Coates, another intellectual luminary from the left. We'll get to that in just one second. First, let us talk about your sleep quality. So these days, I'm not getting a lot of sleep. When I do need sleep, the place I go is Helix. I go to my Helix sleep mattress and I lie upon it. And it is the only thing that has allowed me to grab five moments of respite from a chaotic life. Go to helixsleep.com. Why? Well, because they will personalize a mattress just for you. Helix Sleep has a quiz. It takes just two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Whether you're a side sleeper or a hot sleeper, whether you like a plush or from bed, with Helix, there's no more confusion. There is no more compromising. Helix Sleep is rated the number one mattress by GQ and Wired Magazine. Just go to helixsleep.com slash Ben. Take their two-minute sleep quiz. They will match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. They've got a 10-year warranty and get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but indeed you will because it's made for you. Why wouldn't you love it? Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders for our listeners, which is a fantastic deal. Get up to 200 bucks off at helixsleep.com slash Ben. That is helixsleep.com slash Ben. 
H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash man. Get a mattress made for you. You're a unique individual. You need a unique mattress. Helixsleep.com slash man. So as I say, this is where Bernie should take a lesson from AOC. Because when it comes to the caucuses, particularly Iowa, when it comes to the Iowa caucuses, it's all about enthusiasm. It's how many people can you drive out in the middle of the winter to vote for you. And Bernie has a lot going for him on the score. He is the most honest member of the Democratic Party. And he says the quiet part out loud. And now he can openly campaign against an establishment Democratic Party that is mobilizing behind Elizabeth Warren and Joe Biden. That's what Hillary Clinton just did. He can say, listen, Hillary had her shot. She lost. The DNC denied me my shot last time. Stop them from denying me my shot this time. And he should be campaigning. He's honestly Bernie's intellectual leadership, which is an oxymoron if ever I heard it. Bernie's intellectual right there. Bernie's program has become the mainstream of the Democratic Party. The New York Times recognized this yesterday in their idiotic editorial endorsing Amy Klobuchar and Elizabeth Warren, saying that all of his programmatic ideas have now been implemented as part of the Democratic Party platform. So what Bernie needs to do is he needs to run from the inside. He says, listen, they're stealing all of my good ideas, and then they don't implement any of them because they're a bunch of partisan political hacks. But if they truly were standing up for the people, then they would stand up for my plans and they would just have given me the nomination and give me the nomination. Now, AOC is basically saying this. So AOC did an interview with Ta-Nehisi Coates yesterday and she just launched into the Democratic Party. And again, I am here for it. Here is AOC talking at MLK Now 2020, explaining that the Democratic Party is not even a left-wing party anymore. Now, you have to be patently insane to believe this, but She is patently insane. She does believe this. So does Bernie. And so does a huge swath of the Democratic Party, which is why you had an insurgency against Nancy Pelosi, who is now considered a moderate in the Democratic caucus. Here is the intellectually, intellectually stimulating AOC. Have a left party Mm. in the United States. Mm. The Democratic Party is not a left party. The Democratic Party is a center or center conservative party. Mm. We do not advocate for we do not. We can't even get a floor vote on Medicare for all, Mm -hmm. not even a floor vote that gets voted down. Mm -hmm. We can't even get a vote on it. Mm -hmm. So this is not a left party. Mm -hmm. There are left members inside the Democratic Party. Okay, so this is the campaign, honestly, that Bernie should be running. He should be running an insurgent campaign inside the Democratic Party. What's weird is that thus far he's been running a campaign about the Republican Party's evils from inside the Democratic Party. The only reason why Bernie Sanders is even a top candidate inside the Democratic Party is because of deep and abiding lack of interest in the Democratic Party by a huge swath of the Democratic Party voting base. Bernie says all the stuff that AOC says, but she is even more, she's like the even more honest version of Bernie. She just says all the quiet parts out loud. And honestly, I'm all for it because let's have a clear choice. Let's have a clear choice. So, In a second, I want to get to more AOC. Okay, so AOC does this interview at MLK Day 2020 with Ta-Nehisi Coates. And AOC just spills out what the radical, the radical left agenda is inside the Democratic Party. And it's basically Bernie Sanders' agenda. This is the battle inside the Democratic Party. Now, what's amazing about this is that it really isn't a battle inside the Democratic Party about ends. It's only a battle about means. So you got Joe Biden and Amy Klobuchar and even Elizabeth Warren who are suggesting a more incrementalist approach to the sort of insanity that AOC is promulgating here and that Bernie Sanders has promulgated for years. And AOC and Bernie Sanders are mad about it. And honestly, that's Bernie's campaign, right? This is relevant because AOC is a Bernie surrogate and she is drawing huge crowds on the campaign trail with Bernie because she is promising revolution, not evolution. She's saying all the quiet parts out loud. 
every Republican in Trump's campaign should be recording all of these things and making attack ads saying that this is the Democratic Party because it is the Democratic Party. But Bernie should be saying this stuff inside the Democratic primaries because he's got no other shot otherwise. He's got his one shot. This is his last shot. He's 80 years old. He is not going to run again when he's 84 years old. There are only so many years you are given on this earth. He's been a useless communist for his entire life. This is the last gasp. So he may as well just be mirroring what AOC says. So AOC yesterday talked about the free markets, and, and it is amazing. I mean, this is what so many Democrats believe about free markets. She suggests that if you're a business person, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're a capitalist, then you don't get to make a profit off of the products in which you have invested and risked. You didn't actually make those widgets. Here's AOC trying to explain economics, which is sort of like watching a badger try to explain calculus. You didn't make those widgets. Mm. You sat on a couch Mm. while thousands of people were paid modern day slave wages and in some cases real slave real modern day slavery all of these people who are literally dying Mm -hmm. because they can't afford to live Mm -hmm. and so no one ever makes a billion dollars you take a billion dollars no one makes a billion dollars you take a billion dollars this is the bernie sanders view by the way this is elizabeth warren's view too and it's full-scale insanity it's full-scale insanity it's the basic labor theory of value, this idea that the people who generate the value in a product are not the consumers who decide what a a product is worth. It's the quote-unquote laborers who put their labor into the product. And so if you are a capitalist and you invested all the capital, you bought all of the equipment, you you built the factory, you hired all the workers, you took all the risk. If this thing goes bankrupt, you are the one who is going to lose all the money. She is saying you didn't build anything. You're not the person who put any of this together. Now, none of this makes any sense, particularly in a modern day economy. There's a very famous essay, I, I, the, the author escapes me, called I Pencil, all about the making of a pencil. And the basic premise of the essay is that there is not one person who makes a pencil, right? You don't have a pencil craftsman. Instead, you have the person who deals with the graphite, and then you have the person who deals with the wood, and then you have the person, it's Leonard Reed, and then the person who deals with the paint, and then you have the person who creates the eraser. And all of these things have their own supply chains. And all those supply chains involve hundreds, if not thousands of people to generate all of these... All, to generate really one pencil. And the cost of that pencil to the consumer is then like 25 cents. Okay, according to AOC, the cost of the pencil presumably should be thousands of dollars because you've had thousands of workers involved in the making of this one pencil and they all invested their labor and it wasn't the capitalist who did anything, except it was the entrepreneur who created the entire supply chain that created the pencil in the first place. It requires the labor of thousands of people, but it requires the coordination of all of that labor and the risk investment of somebody at the top who's quote unquote sitting on the couch. AOC's never run a business. She doesn't know the first damn thing about business. If you asked her to make a pencil, she'd have no idea how to do it. If you asked her to run a business, she'd have no idea how to do it. But she thinks that she knows better than you how people ought to be paid, which, of course, is absolute nonsense and insanity. But this is cheered by the Democratic left. This is cheered by the Bernie Sanders contingent. This is Bernie Sanders' agenda. AOC does it without the mask. And you know what? Honestly, I think that she'll be more popular inside the Democratic Party for doing it without the mask. I think so will Bernie Sanders. And then AOC goes on to suggest that the government is us. What she's talking about here is the complete overthrow of the American philosophy of individual rights. Individual rights, pre-existing government, is the basic idea of the Declaration of Independence. The idea was that we, we create a government in order to protect those individual rights. And if the government were to invade those individual rights, it loses its reason for being. This is the basic premise of the Declaration of Independence and the American Revolution. But according to AOC and Bernie Sanders and Barack Obama and the entire Democratic Party, she just says the quiet part out loud, The government is us. We have nothing to fear. 
from the government. The collective, the collective. In the end, the collective is us. So what do we have to fear from a collective invading individual rights? After all, you don't have any individual value. You're just part of that collective. In a democracy, the government is us. Mm -hmm. Like, can we just remember that? Mm -hmm. That when, when we fight for full enfranchisement, when we don't deny the vote, when we don't have subjects, when we fight for a democracy for the people and by the people, the government is the public. Mm -hmm. And the public decides what is good for itself. Okay, I'm deeply amused at Ta-Nehisi Coates sitting there and nodding through this. When Ta-Nehisi Coates has written extensively and in, in quite passionate fashion about the evils of Jim Crow, which indeed were evil, and were also majority passed laws in the South that cracked down on minorities. Was the government us there too? Was the government us? Or did it turn out that majorities sometimes invade the rights of minority and the individual is the ultimate minority? AOC goes even further. She just says it right out. She says that we want your power. You didn't generate any of the power, lady. You didn't do anything. You won like a few thousand votes in an extraordinarily blue district of, of Brooklyn. I mean, like of the Bronx. Like, what the hell is wrong with you? You didn't generate, she has not generated a single thing that has done anybody any good for her entire life, except she mixed a few drinks. That is the only thing of value she has generated in her entire short life. And she has not created a job. She's not run a business. She's not created a product or service that anybody wants to buy. But she wants the power of people who have done all of that because after all, those people didn't create anything. The only people who created anything are the workers. Weird, because for literally millions of years, at least hundreds of thousands of years, there have been workers, there have been people who labored. But prosperity only began when people started investing in the labor of others and engaging in free trade and commerce. As I mentioned yesterday, the global GDP multiplied between 1800 and 2015 by 15,700%. And she's sitting here explaining that she wants the power. What qualifies this dolt to run anything? Now, that's my perspective. But inside the Democratic Party, this, this bleep is popular. To be ethical, if you're a billionaire today, the thing that you need to do is give up control mm. and power. So I don't want your money as much as we want your power. Mm. The people, not me. The people, not me. Get cut and the people, really. So if the people elect a Republican then she's okay with it? Because the people did, right? I mean, no, no, it turns out it's her. And by the way, we don't want your money. We want your power is such a lie. She wants your money and your power. And by the way, the power that Jeff Bezos has is relegated to the fact that he hires hundreds of thousands of human beings and allows other hundreds of thousands of human beings to receive and ship products. Like, she wants the power. How about you create a thing and then we can talk about what kind of power that you've created. Right? How about you do like the, the, the leech attitude here? The, I'm going to suck away everything that you've done because I know better than you based on my crap econ degree from Boston University. The, the utter gall of it is astonishing. AOC also has some words about Jeff Bezos specifically. She says that Jeff Bezos, if he really cared about the people, he would turn his company into a worker collective. Alternatively, if she really believes that workers deserve the full fruits of their labors, you know what workers can do? They can found companies. They can create an LLC anytime they want. They can invest their own time and labor. In fact, there are such companies. There are companies that do that. They're fully capitalistic. But instead, AOC says that Bezos, who created Amazon, right, from a used book company into one of the great companies on planet Earth, she says that Bezos should turn his company into a worker collective. This coming from the lady who just drove 20,000 jobs out of her own district. First of all, change your business model. Mm. That's the first one. If Jeff Bezos... He doesn't have to be Amazon. If Jeff Bezos yeah, wants yeah. to be a good person, he'd turn Amazon to a walker, worker cooperative. Right. 
You know, like, not what do I do with all of this money that I have created with this unjust system? And if, usually if you're a billionaire, that means that you control a massive system. Okay, if you are a billionaire, what that means is that you have engaged in a, a billion voluntary transactions in a free country. But again, this is very popular inside the Democratic Party. Bernie Sanders, by the way, of course, feels exactly the same way about all of this. Yesterday, he tweeted out that we need national rent control, which is presumably the worst economic idea in human history. National rent control basically suggests that you are going to dictate to everybody what they are allowed to charge for rent, which means that it will become not profitable to create new developments, which means housing shortages, which means that the government will have to get involved and then we'll have to build public housing. And this has worked fantastic in places like pruitt Igo in St. Louis, a massive, disgusting, horrific, ugly government housing area that was ripped down because it turned into a trash heap. Thanks to people who live there and to local and to local law enforcement and, and local politicians and national politicians. And the nationalization of all of this stuff is the ultimate agenda. Listen, all I'm saying here is that Bernie should run on it. Just do it, man. Just do it. Hillary's coming after you. Biden's coming after you. Even Warren's coming after you. Just go full out. Go full out because Tucker Carlson, sadly, is right. Because Tucker kind of agrees with Bernie when it comes to, econo- when it comes to economics. I mean, I've, I've talked to Tucker on my show about it. Here is Tucker explaining that Bernie Sanders will win Trump voters. One of my favorite things about Tucker's take on economics in this sort of context is he will very often say socialism is really bad, but also Republicans should figure out a way to relieve the student loan crisis. Okay, like, God, do, you're going to have to define why you think socialism is bad if you actually think that government should be relieving the student loan crisis where people voluntarily took on debt and then refused to pay back the debt. Bernie Sanders may get the Democratic nomination, and if he does, every Republican in Washington will spend the next 10 months reminding you that socialism does not work and never has worked. And they'll be right, obviously. But if Sanders pledges to forgive student loans, he will still win many thousands of voters who went for Donald Trump last time. Why? Because debt is crushing an entire generation of Americans. Republicans need to make a plan to make it better or they will be left behind. Okay, so Republicans need to make big government plans. This is why I say Bernie should just go for it. He should just go for it. He should just own it. Okay, now let's talk about impeachment. So we'll get to that in just one second. But first, if you know anything about me, you've most likely heard about my talk about pro-life causes. I talk about pro-life causes all the time. You also remember last year, I streamed my podcast live from the March for Life in D.C. I gave a speech to hundreds of thousands of people marching for the cause. What you may not be aware of is that we got enormous blowback from our political adversaries. There were astroturfed targeted campaigns against some of our advertisers. Several of our advertisers actually pulled the ads out of the show. That was not the first time, nor will it likely be the last time, that we're attacked in an attempt to shut down pro-life voices. We're also not the only targets. Live Action is one of the biggest voices in the pro-life movement. They are fantastic. They're run by Lila Rose, a good friend of mine. I donate money to Live Action. They really are terrific. They continue to do some of the most important work in the pro-life space, from raising awareness and education on the abortion issue to undercover videos that expose Planned Parenthood and other abortion clinics for horrific human rights abuses. They've been banned from advertising on Twitter for their calls to defund Planned Parenthood. They've been targeted by a bevy of social media companies. And so right now, we are doing something special here at Daily Wire. And that is If you subscribe right now, if you become a Daily Wire member and you help us out, you help protect us from the left trying to cancel the pro-life message, then we will also give a portion of those proceeds to live action from now until January 31st. So from now until January 31st, a portion of any dailywire.com membership will be donated to live action with promo code live action to support awareness and education around the world on this issue. So you can feel really good 
while you are getting the benefit of a Daily Wire membership that you are also doing something good for the world and for the pro-life movement. So go check that out right now. It's a pretty awesome deal. Really should make you feel good about yourself. Go check it out right now. We are the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. All righty, so the the Mitch McConnell-led Senate is now planning to give House impeachment managers and President Donald Trump's legal team each 24 hours divided over two days for their opening arguments in the Senate impeachment trial. And Democrats are fighting mad about all of this. Now, the impeachment trial of President Clinton did involve each side getting 24 hours, but those 24 hours were split over a four-day period. So that dragged this thing out as like six hours per day for four days. This time, it's going to be 12 hours per day for two days for each side, which means late night sessions. Oh, no, we're going to make our senators work. It's so funny to hear senators complain about this on the Democratic side. I thought this was the most urgent thing that ever happened. And if we don't impeach Trump right now, then he's going to steal the election. But you, do, you guys don't want to stay up till one in the morning. I mean, normally you're up till one in the morning banging hookers anyway. So what do you care? I mean, seriously, you're just going to have to be on the floor of the Senate listening to people jabber. I, I understand it's a letdown from the heavy drinking that you normally do in your off hours, but you know, presumably you could stick around for a couple extra hours and, and listen to, to, some, to some of this. Democrats oppose McConnell's schedule. House Democratic aide said Monday was an effort to conceal the president's misconduct in the dark of night. Oh, really? I'm sure that the media will not. The media have obviously been very skimpy in their coverage of President Trump. I'm sure that if the, the cameras have to be rolling at 11 p.m., then the media won't be able to cover it in any way. I'm sure they're just going to all go to sleep. Don Lemon and Chris Cuomo are just going to say, you know what? It's 11 p.m. I'm not going to offer the night, not going to cover this stuff. According to Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, he said it's clear Senator McConnell is hell-bent, hell-bent on making it much more difficult to get witnesses and documents and intent on rushing the trial through. It's hilarious to watch the House say, we need to rush it through. We need to rush it. Rush it now. It's important. Do it now. We can't wait for witnesses. Do it now, now, now. And McConnell's like, okay, let's also rush it through. We'll rush it through now. We'll get to a vote. And then we're going to say, wait, slow. Whoa, whoa there, Mitch. Hold your horses. Now we got to call the witnesses and we got to do it for months at a time. If we can carry this thing all the way through to like 2029, we would make that happen. Chuck Schumer said on something as important as impeachment, Senator McConnell's resolution is nothing short of a national disgrace. Here is Chuck Schumer saying this is so tough. It's so terrible. No, no, it's awful. It is now certain that Leader McConnell is going along with President Trump's cover-up, hook, line, and sinker. When you look at his resolution, it's no wonder he delayed it till the last minute. He didn't want people to study it or know about it. After reading McConnell's resolution, it's clear McConnell is hell-bent on making it much more difficult to get witnesses and documents and intent on rushing the trial through. Again, they rushed the entire thing through the House. They still have the ability, as Senator Tim Scott pointed out yesterday of South Carolina, they still have the ability anytime they want to call new witnesses in the House. They can. While Adam Schiff is appearing on CNN every night, he could be figuring out how to call John Bolton. He could be working it through the legal system. He's not. Here's Tim Scott saying, I don't understand. We're supposed to call witnesses that the House refuses to call, and then we're bad if we don't do what they what they wouldn't do? They do have the opportunity to have votes. I look forward to voting no on any witness that was not a witness during the House. It is not our responsibility as senators to help improve or expand the case. The way that we understand the process, the House sends over a completed case 
and we make a decision based on that completed case. If the House doesn't like the case they sent over, then they need to do something in the House to change that case. Okay, well, they're not going to do anything in the House, obviously, which is why they're militating against Mitch McConnell's rules and complaining about them. By the way, the the notion that they're not going to call witnesses, again, they still have to take a vote on whether to call witnesses. And there's nothing different about that than in the Clinton impeachment in 1999 when it was unclear how many witnesses were going to be called once the thing actually hit the Senate. According to CNN, the organizing resolution is the opening salvo in what's shaping up to be a bitterly contested impeachment trial after the House passed two articles of impeachment last month charging Trump with abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. I'm just going to point out, the media back in 1999 thought that witnesses were a sham, that the Senate shouldn't call new witnesses. These are the same members of the media who today are like, we need new witnesses or it's a cover-up. The whole issue has been a sham. It shouldn't have gotten this far. The House acted improperly in passing it on to the Senate. Why is your party dragging this thing out? Why is this happening? Why go through all this uh, this business about witnesses? Do we really need more witnesses? It's going to add months to this thing. We should... Stop this. This bogus inflated uh, case. And get on with business of governance. Will these people just get down to business and leave this impeachment thing alone? It's going to be an enormous distraction. And those were reporters. (laughs) Then one of those reporters is asking Bob Dole, Bob Dole, asking Bob Dole about this. Yes, so much journalism, even back then, so much journalism. McConnell's organizing resolution puts off the question of witnesses until after the two sides present their opening arguments, and there are 16 hours of questions for senators, which they will ask through Supreme Court Chief Justice John Roberts, who's presiding over the trial, who has the, he has the worst schedule in Washington. He has to go hear Supreme Court cases in the morning, and then he has to rush on over to the Senate in the afternoon and preside over this dumb impeachment. At that point, the resolution includes a proposal in which the Senate would vote on a motion to on whether it shall be in order to consider and debate under the impeachment rules any motion to subpoena witnesses or documents. Should enough Republicans vote with Democrats to call witnesses, says CNN, the White House and Republican allies will be ready. A senior administration official and a person familiar confirm the White House has been involved in discussion with GOP allies over the last several days to make sure they're ready in the event that Democrats get enough votes to allow witnesses to be called to testify. The sources say part of those discussions involve the implications, such as executive privilege concerns, if John Bolton, Mick Mulvaney, Office of Management and Budget Official Mike Duffy and White House aide Rob Blair are forced to publicly testify. There are a series of contingencies were prepared, said a senior administration. Well, you would imagine they would be, right? I mean, like, this is a very long telegraphed punch right here. Meanwhile, President Trump's legal team has released a 110-page brief rebutting a lot of the charges put forth by Democrats in their own impeachment brief. Byron York has a good synopsis of all of this over at Washington Examiner. He says, on Monday, the White House released a 110-page defense memorandum signed by White House counsel Pat Cipollone and Trump lawyer Jay Sekulow in it. The two lawyers addressed the substance of the Democratic charges against the president, Trump's phone call with the Ukrainian president on July 15, 25th, 2019, the decision to withhold and later deliver security assistance to Ukraine, the legitimacy of Trump's concerns about Ukrainian activities in the 2016 election and the case of Hunter Biden and more. In other words, all the things the president's adversary said he could not address, all those things are addressed in the Cipollone Seculo memo. The lawyers also criticized the process of impeachment. On the substance of the abuse of power article against the president, Cipollone and Seculo present a detailed analysis of the July 25th call and the events surrounding it. The rough transcript of the call released by the White House on September 25th, 2019, quote, shows the president did nothing wrong, they write. Trump's discussion of burden sharing has been a consistent theme of his presidency. As far as the president's discussion of the 2016 election was concerned, uncovering foreign interference in U.S. elections is always a legitimate goal, whatever the source of that interference and whether or not it fits with Democrats' preferred narrative. There were, in fact, legitimate concerns about Ukrainian efforts to influence the 2016 election. It was also legitimate to bring up the issue of Hunter Biden and Burisma 
argue Trump's lawyers. Quote, public reports indicate that then-Vice President Biden threatened withholding U.S. loan guarantees to secure the dismissal of a Ukrainian prosecutor, even though Biden was, at the time, operating under what appeared to be, at the very least, a serious conflict of interest. Then there was the issue of the temporarily withheld assistance. There was no discussion of the paused security assistance on that July 25th phone call, said Cipollone and Seculo. The Ukrainians have said there was no pressure on them. They did not know that security assistance had been paused at the time of the call. House Democrats' charges further disproved by the straightforward fact that not a single witness with actual knowledge ever testified that the president suggested any connection between announcing investigations and security assistance. Now, do I think that Trump did ever? Was that a perfect phone call? No, it wasn't a perfect phone call. It gave the appearance of impropriety. Do I think that Trump was likely conditioning Ukrainian aid? Like the problem with Trump's case is that he doesn't explain why he was conditioning Ukrainian aid. It just sort of was out there. Do I think that it had something to do with the Ukrainian government investigating Burisma and Joe Biden? I do. Do I think it had to do with 2020 as opposed to 2016? No, I don't. And that is where you move from the impeachable to the non-impeachable. So Trump does have responses to all of this. And the fact is that this thing is going to be over within a week. By the new schedule, there will be 24 hours Each side gets 24 hours, so the whole thing should take, I believe, four days. And then you get witnesses. Even if you have a few witnesses, you're going to get like maybe five witnesses if you get any witnesses. And those witnesses may take another week. Okay, well, that means that today's date is January 21st. So by early February, there's a good shot that by the time Trump speaks in the State of the Union, he's already been acquitted in the Senate. That is a very solid shot. Okay, time for a quick thing that I like, and then we'll get to some things that I hate. So things that I like. The other day I recommended... The new Terminator movie, Terminator Dark Fate. So now it's time to recommend the best Terminator movie, the only truly great Terminator movie. That, of course, is Terminator 2. Now, I know there are a lot of Terminator 1 fans. Terminator 1's fine. Yeah, it's, it's good. But it really serves only as the predicate for Terminator 2, one of the best action films in the history of movies. Great Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's, it's clever. It's, the action scenes are well-staged. The special effects pretty much hold up. It's pretty spectacular. Here's a little bit of the trailer. If you've never seen Terminator 2, not for the kiddies, great movie. He's a Terminator like you, right? Not like me. T-1000. Advanced prototype. Kill us all! Go! Come with me if you want to live. We don't have much time. Okay, the movie's great. Come on. Every other line is a quotable line. It's just fantastic. So if uh, you're in the mood for a good action flick and you've never seen Terminator 2, you're missing out. Terminator 2 is great. Okay, time for some things that I hate. Okay, so over the last 24 hours, there was this massive rally in Virginia. About 22,000 people showed up by crowd estimates bigger than the Women's March in Washington, D.C. This big crowd shows up at the Virginia Capitol to protest a bunch of gun measures, gun control measures pushed forward by Ralph Northam. Now, there is not widespread support in the state of Virginia for severe gun control. There just isn't. Okay, there, there's at best support for carving around the edges of gun rights, but they're, they're the kind of right to the heart of it, restricting ownership of assault weapons. Like there just is not widespread support for that in a gun-heavy state like Virginia. Because there was this pro-gun rally at the Virginia Capitol, the media decided that they were going to treat this thing as though it was an incipient terror attack. And this was exacerbated by the fact that there were some actual white supremacists who said that they wanted to, they were arrested. They wanted to come to the actual event and then start shooting. Shooting whom? You know, not clear exactly whether they were going to shoot the constituents, shoot at cops. They wanted to start trouble because this is what white supremacists do because they're the worst people on planet Earth. They're just awful, evil pieces of human debris. 
The media decided instead to play it as though this rally was filled with white supremacists. The headline from the Huffington Post yesterday suggested that thousands, this is a close, close paraphrase, maybe direct quote, thousands of pro-gun activists and far-right extremists rally in Richmond. I love how they just sort of conflate pro-gun activists and far-right extremists. No breakdown as to what exactly that looks like. How many far-right extremists were there? How many pro-gun activists? Absolutely unclear. The media yesterday were just itching for something bad to happen. Like they would have loved nothing better than for shots to be fired because then they could suggest that all gun owners are actually crazed kooks who want to start violence, who want to disobey the law. And that is why we have to seize their guns from them, right? I mean, it's why the favorite argument of the left is finding crazy people with guns. And they, they never want to talk about law-abiding citizens with guns protecting themselves and their families and their rights. Instead, they want to portray gun owners as legitimately nuts. And so when they get 22,000 people in one place, all it takes is one shot fired for the media to get what they want. And the media were just drooling for it yesterday. Here's a little bit of montage. Various members of the media spreading fear as to what was going to happen at the Virginia Capitol. It turned out to be a perfectly nice rally. Everybody showed up. Everybody left. Nobody got hurt. There weren't even any people were cleaning up their trash. In other words, it was like a Tea Party rally. I'm old enough to remember the Tea Party in 2010, 2009, 2010. And I'm old enough to remember when the media portrayed Tea Parties as incipient terror hotbeds, when it was a bunch of Americans gathering together to say the Pledge of Allegiance and talk about founding principles and then clean up their garbage. Here's the media doing the same thing at this pro-gun rally in Virginia yesterday. Hate groups, supposedly some white nationalists. White nationalists. White nationalists. White nationalists. White nationalist groups. White supremacists. White supremacists. White supremacists. White extremists. This entire rally stands in, in opposition to the meaning of this day. Virginia on the edge. How concerned are you that there might be some people in this crowd that may want to get violent? There's certainly a lot of concern here. Raising fears of a dangerous confrontation. It could be violence. And there is real concern there about what the intention is behind this. There's a lot of concern about the potential for violence. And th this was the constant chatter yesterday. And Governor Ralph Northam, of course, exacerbated that by declaring a state of emergency as though this is going to be another Charlottesville. There is a rather large difference, okay, rather large difference between Charlottesville and the rally yesterday in Richmond. The rally in Charlottesville was legitimately organized by white supremacists and marketed as a white supremacist rally. Their poster showed Confederate soldiers marching and Nazi-like war eagles on the poster. Richard Spencer was the keynote speaker. Okay, this was a normal pro-gun rally. End of story. And by the way, it is legal to carry guns in the state of Virginia in the way that people were carrying guns yesterday. If they had not been acting legally, they would have been arrested. Ralph Northam, however, tweeted out, we are all thankful that today passed without incident. Well, it, it was really only you suggesting that there was going to be an incident. Imagine if there had been a left-wing rally and a right-wing governor had said, we're all grateful that today passed without incident. The teams successfully de-escalated what could have been a volatile situation. De-escalated? Where was the de-escalation? Where was the escalation that required the de-escalation? Like, I'm confused. I didn't see any video of people starting to get violent. And believe me, the media would have been all over it. And then the cops coming in and de-escalating the situation. In fact, the only people who didn't show up yesterday were the folks from Antifa, who are the ones who are going around the country precipitating conflict. So Ralph Northam pushing the idea that we narrowly avoided bloodshed in Richmond yesterday is perfectly insane. He has no evidence that bloodshed was in the offing from the people who were there. And the people who were going to show up and do bloodshed, thank God, law enforcement did its job. It's unbelievable. Chris Hayes, though, suggests that carrying guns is in and of itself an implicit threat of violence. Here's Chris Hayes on MSNBC grabbing those Rachel Maddow glasses and going for it. Peaceable assembly to petition your government is protected under the First Amendment, even if, you know, you don't agree with people. I just like there. I guess I struggle with like just the implied message of armed folks. Um, and sometimes the explicit message is that, like, we will use these if you, if you try to enact your laws. 
I mean, I think there's no question when you look at those images and watch the TV screens of mostly white men uh, marching uh, armed to the hilt, uh, the level of intimidation and fear that that can stoke uh, is terrifying. Intimidation and fear? I mean, like none of these people were there. I know they feel afraid when they see a law-abiding American citizen with a gun. And I know it scares the bejesus out of them when you suggest to them that perhaps if the government violates fundamental rights under the Constitution of the United States, that people will disobey that. I know this scares them, but that happens to be a pretty rich tradition in American history. And nobody was using guns yesterday. Nobody was threatening politicians yesterday. Nobody was doing anything illegal yesterday. And, and making clear to the politicians that if you try to tyrannize the American population, that you are exacerbating conflict, that's not a terrible thing. And by the way, you don't have to carry a gun to do it. I say it on the show all the time. I say it on the show all the time. Okay, the carrying of the guns is to demonstrate that you do have the right to carry guns, and that's not a right that people are going to go along with being taken away. Sheriff Richard Vaughn is a law enforcement officer in Virginia. And he says, listen, we're not going to enforce unconstitutional laws. By the way, there are a lot of people getting very upset about this. We're not going to enforce unconstitutional laws, says the sheriff. What about rule of law? Well, one of the aspects of rule of law under the Constitution is that when you take an oath to the Constitution, you're supposed to obey the Constitution, not people who violate the Constitution in the name of the Constitution. So here's Sheriff Richard Vaughn explaining that he is not going to be mobilized in favor of disarming law-abiding American citizens just because a bunch of Democratic politicians don't like guns. If the bills go through as proposed, they will not be enforced. They're unconstitutional. We support to uphold the Constitution of the United States and the Constitution of Virginia, and that's what we'll do. Okay, and everybody is getting very mad at this guy. How dare they? It's funny. They're, they're fine with local law enforcement saying we won't, we won't work with the feds to crack down on illegal immigration, which is an actual crime. But when a sheriff says, listen, I'm not going to go door to door and try to disarm law-abiding Americans just because Ralph Northam, Governor Kuhnman, wants me to, then obviously very, very bad, very, very bad indeed. One protester made very clear. He says, listen, here's what's happening here. The media, this is a black protester wearing a Make America Great Again hat, which just boggles the little minds in the media because obviously, if you're black, you're not allowed to support Trump. The protester says, Northam is trying to equate this with Charlottesville. And that, of course, is true. The media have a very bad habit of trying to equate everything with Charlottesville. Everything. Everybody is alt-right. Everybody is a wild right-wing extremist who wants bloodshed. And by the way, if you're, if you're a tyrant who wants to remove fundamental American rights, then you're a moderate. If you're AOC, then you're just a peaceful moderate who is seeking to make the country better, even while you are calling for the nationalization of nearly every industry and the destruction of all American rights in the name of the government, because, of course, the government is us. But if you're a law-abiding American citizen who takes your gun to a pro-gun rally, then, of course, you're a terrorist. Here is, the, here is this, uh, this black protester talking about this. They want to liken this to Charlottesville, and they want to anticipate crime and violence. But these are peaceful people who come, come around with their weapons, and they're showing up here to send one message, and that is a message of unity. The, the, you know, this 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 government thinks this is just white people, just 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 uh, a few black people. There are there are people here who are united from the hills, from the mountains, from the valleys, and the message is one message, and that is that we want the Second Amendment to remain intact. That tape is courtesy of Breitbart News. By the way, it's very weird to watch members of the media who are complaining that these rallies are too white, then presumably ignore all the black people who are actually at the rallies, and suggest also that black people should be against gun ownership, which is a weird take considering that the most victimized minority in American history are black Americans and that many black Americans have in fact defended themselves with firearms from the predations of white racists coming after them. All right, we'll be back here a little bit later today with two additional hours of content. We'll see you here later today or tomorrow. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. 
If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Moles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Colton Haas, directed by Mike Joyner, executive producer Jeremy Boring, senior producer Jonathan Hay, supervising producer Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling, assistant director Pavel Wydowski, technical producer Austin Stevens, playback and media operated by Nick Sheehan, associate producer Katie Swinnerton, Edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Poromina. Hair and makeup is by Nika Geneva. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. Yesterday, white supremacist, Hitler-loving neo-Nazis wearing Make America Great Again hats and toting fully semi-automatic double-barreled AR-47 assault rifles descended on the Virginia State House to take over the government and establish a Prussian ethno-state in the fevered imagination of the mainstream media. In reality, law-abiding gun owners of all colors and backgrounds showed up on lobby day to defend their constitutionally protected civil rights. And there was no violence whatsoever, and they cleaned up after themselves when they left. We will examine how Virginia gun owners shut down the leftist narrative on the Second Amendment. Then AOC has the dumbest conversation I've ever heard. We get ready for impeachment, and we get even more ready for the March for Life. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, let's say you were a stormtrooper and you were enjoying a nice meal of roasted Ewok in the Death Star mess hall. Well, all of a sudden you hear the voice of Alec Guinness saying, use the force, Luke. The next thing you know, the entire place is going up in flames around you. And it's at this moment you really wished you had life insurance. Make life insurance part of your financial planning this year. Start shopping right now with Policy Genius. Find the right policy and protect your family. Policy Genius makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from top companies and find your lowest price. Luckily, Policy Genius helps you compare your options from top companies and their team of licensed experts. Well, they're on hand to help talk you through it. No added fees. Your personal information remains private. It's super satisfying to check life insurance off that to-do list. A good life insurance plan can give you peace of mind that if something happens to you, God forbid, your family will be able to cover mortgage payments, college costs, or other expenses. Life insurance through your workplace might not offer enough protection for your family's needs. It's not going to follow you if you leave your job. Head on over to policygenius.com right now. Save time and money. Give your family a financial safety net with Policy Genius. Head on over to policygenius.com slash Shapiro or click that link in the description. Get your free life insurance quotes. See how much you could save. That's policygenius.com slash Shapiro.